Well, this is our third lesson on the mouth, and we're calling this the proper use of the mouth. Last week, we covered uh, the sins of the mouth, so you can't have yin without yang, according to the uh, heresy of uh, Confucianism and Taoism and all those Asian religions. So we're covering the proper use of the mouth. If all we ever do is emphasize the negative, we show no redemption. We have to come along and show you how to positively do something with your mouth. So we're going to focus on that with these Sunday school lessons. Here, uh, let's begin with Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 and 37 out of the NIV. Jesus speaking, he said, But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Ouch. That translation really slaps us pretty hard as chatty Cathy's that uh, we're going to be judged for the empty words we speak. How much of what we say is empty? How much of what we say is just idle chatter? Some folks, unfortunately, because of nervousness, because of insecurity, they, 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 they tend to constantly run their mouth because they can't just be still and be at peace. Uh, something the Lord said to us in corporate prayer recently, he said, if you have peace, you can hold your peace, which would seem to imply that if you have no peace, you have to constantly run your mouth. So this verse tells us very fearfully that we're going to give an account one day for every empty word, every idle chatter. Continue reading. For by our words we will be acquitted, and by our words we will be condemned. Or as Jesus said, by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So our words here have the ability to acquit us or get us off of charges that have been brought against us, or our words have the ability to condemn us and sentence us and, and restrain our life in shackles. Many Christians, unfortunately, live in a perpetual prison that they've built by their own words. So we covered all the sins of the mouth last week in Sunday school. This week, we're covering basically how to acquit our lives or how to set us free. Looking back now at our curriculum, words are not meant to be empty or useless, though the devil does absolutely love it when we're just full of empty chatter. I would say... Humbly speaking, or maybe conservatively speaking, it's going to be impossible for us to eliminate every bit of idle chatter out of our lives. Uh, even James says, uh, we offend in many things, including our words, and if we don't, we are perfect and able also to bridle our whole body. Uh, I don't believe we can ever get to a place of sinless perfection with our mouth, but we can definitely get to where we're getting the A grade, maybe the A+. plus. Our words are meant to accomplish something for the kingdom of God. And we got to realize that's exactly why we've been giving our, our words, to build the kingdom, to preach the gospel, to exhort, to edify, to encourage each other. For all the sins of the mouth we looked at in the last lesson, we will see all of the proper uses for our mouth in this lesson. Our words will condemn us or they will acquit us. Our words loosen us and set us free or they bind us up. Let us look at the proper use of our mouths. And I cannot emphasize enough that we've got to be very careful with our words. Our life is a product of what we have or haven't prayed. And our life is a product of what we have or haven't been saying or speaking. As Jesus said, you can set yourself free with your mouth or you can condemn and bind yourself with your mouth. Jesus speaking in Mark 11 said, you can have what you say. Well, if you can have what you say, then all you have to do is look at your life, and that is what you've been saying. Jesus didn't even say you can have what you say in the positive. You can certainly have what you say in the negative. This isn't voodoo or witchcraft. It's just God-ordained doctrine. 
So we got to be careful that we, we understand that we can frame the life around us with our words. You can curse your marriage or you can bless it. You can curse friendships or you can bless them. We really need to be praying above everything, Lord, help me to be wise with the words of my mouth. I think I shared this last time, but years ago, uh, my, one of my pastors I was serving, he, he prayed, laid hands over on me. And one of the things he prayed over me is he said, the Lord is beginning to show you You'll be filled with wisdom how to accurately say those things that God has placed in your heart or your life. We need wisdom to speak, wisdom to declare things, wisdom to talk. Uh, there's so much idle chatter in the, our culture that we just think we can have diarrhea of the mouth and our life go well. Even in the natural, when you have diarrhea, you know there's a time to let it go and then there's a time to go on. Unfortunately, some folks don't know when to go on in life and their mouth just keeps running. Women especially. Now, some men, my wife says, uh, my wife says, honey, you talk, you say women talk too much. She being married to me, she says, you preachers talk way more than the women do. And I would agree with that. But just generally speaking, women like to talk a lot. So this will be especially critical for women who are more social than men are. You never hear of female hermits. It's always males. Women will have to be very mindful to pray and ask the Lord for wisdom to guard their mouth, and to accurately declare the things and, and control what's coming out of their mouth. So let's look at the proper use of our mouth. We're going to begin with just a, a general thing, and then we'll, we'll tighten it to become more spiritual as the lesson goes on here. Communication is the most general use uh, for our mouth. Communication is not necessarily always spiritual. Even the pagans who are not spiritual, they have to use words to communicate. Everything in life is built on communication, from insects rubbing their legs together or fireflies lighting up their tail that, that signals mating and all that stuff. Everything in the cosmos is built on communication. Our mouths, through the expression of speech, are how we communicate in life. With our mouths, we express thoughts and opinions. We make requests and we converse. So our mouth is our conversational tool. And I think we get this. This is totally basic. And so that is one of the critical things that we do on a daily basis with our mouth. But what the enemy and the sin nature loves to do is to creep into conversation, creep into our conversing and our, and our, our opinions and our thoughts and sprinkle it and salt it with perversion and sin. Our mouths allow us to commune with one another through communication. <laughs> That's how we commune with one another. Communication leads to unity. Unity leads to great accomplishment. Communication among men reached its epitome at the Tower of Babel, but it was a rebellious communication. It was a rebellious unity against God, so God confounded the languages. So, wives, we, I'm going to support you here, and I'm going to agree with you when you say, husband, I need you to communicate with me more accurately. So now I look at you husbands, and I say, husbands, learn to communicate more accurately with your wife. I am very guilty of if everything that goes on in my life, and with my wife helping me to lead and administrate the ministry, I sometimes don't communicate with her with what we're doing here, and it, it affects us negatively. So we have to learn to communicate more accurately. And husbands, yes, we're going to have to learn to share with our wives the details that they want that we care nothing about, but this is part of being selfless 
And we joke about it. I can have a 40-minute conversation with my mother or my father or my brother or somebody overseas, and my wife will say, who is that? And I'll say, that was my brother Ryan. Well, what are they doing? Ah, not much. (laughs) And we just had a 40-minute conversation. Or my wife, on the other hand, as any lady, she can have a five-minute conversation, and I'll say, who was that? And she'll say, oh, that was my mom, or that was my sister, or that was so-and-so. And And we guys will say, oh, okay, because we don't care. Or we might say, are they doing all right? And, And when we say, are they doing all right, what we're looking for is like a yes or no question, if you just want to know, ladies. Yes, they're doing okay, or no, they're not. Oh, what's wrong? They had a car accident. Oh, are they okay? Again, yes or no. See, guys are very simple. It's either positive or negative. It's either a one or a zero. It's either black or it's white. But now, ladies, because of your gift of communication, you, you, you'll take a five-minute conversation, and instead of repeating it, which should technically only take five minutes because that's as long as a communication, you will fill in the gaps with how you feel, how they feel, how you interpreted how they feel, why that probably is, so psychologize the background story. And then 35 minutes later, we still are just looking for a yes or no answer. So men are from Mars, women are from Jupiter or something, and we have to somewhere come together in the middle and learn how to make our marriages better or just even make the job work better. So enough on that. Let's move on to something spiritual that we can all agree on more better. Prayer. Prayer is how we communicate with God. And so prayer is how we commune with God. If we're not praying on a regular basis, talking to the Lord, we're out of communion with him. Prayer is a spoken oration. Every time I teach this, people get upset. You cannot disprove this from the Bible. Now, you can disagree with the spoken oration of prayer based on religious tradition, but you don't have a verse to stand on in the entire Bible to back up the false definition of prayer being mental. You can't find it. Throughout the Bible, prayer was always spoken with the exception of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and she's rebuked for not speaking vocally her prayer the bible says her mouth moved only no words could be heard so the high priest eli thought she was a drunk that's how critical it was to the jews when you pray it ought to be heard i find that interesting because it means eli stood there at the altar and he's watching everybody pray And he's listening to hear what their prayers are. And it also seems critical because when he rebukes her, she doesn't get upset. Like we've had so many folks get upset with us when we say, why aren't you praying out loud? She she says, oh, my Lord, or oh, my, oh, sir, oh, oh, you know, you're honorable, sir. Um, She says, please don't mistake your daughter for a daughter of Belial. She said, for out of the abundance of my grief and out of the anguish of my heart have I offered forth my petition to the Lord. She said, I'm not a drunkard. I was just crying out so grievously. I could words wouldn't come out. I was just so sorrowful. And so Eli, the high priest says, well, then uh, I'm glad you're not a drunkard or a daughter of Belial. May the Lord grant you your request. She, She said what she wanted. I need a son. And so once the high priest could hear what she was praying for, then he could get into the prayer of agreement. And his agreement with her, for all practical purposes that we can see from 1 Samuel 1, causes her to get what she's praying for. 
Now that passage alone totally deep sixes the southern tradition of unspoken requests. Her unspoken prayer got rebuked, and when she vocalized it, the high priest could come into the prayer of agreement with her, and she got what she was believing God for. So again, you can debate with me all day long, but you'll never find biblical grounds to pray in your head. That's what the Bible calls meditation, but it's never called prayer. Internal musings upon the word are called meditations. That's not the fat Buddha going, um, um. It means to roll the matter over and over again in your heart, to mutter to yourself. Even the word meditation has with it the intonation that you are kind of speaking, it kind of working out the scriptures. There are many types of prayer for the New Testament believer, including supplications, intercessions, petitions, thanksgiving, tongues, etc. And so for a further study on prayer, we recommend you see our prayer lessons, which we have also produced and put on pod school. 1 Timothy 2.1, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Ephesians also adds praying with all kinds of prayers in the spirit. These two verses alone let us know there's many types of prayer. This is one of the positive, one of the biblical things we need to be doing with our mouth. The New Testament speaks of 10 different types of prayer, petitions, supplications, intercessions, thanksgiving, tongues, prayer of faith, prayer of consecration, prayer of agreement, travailings, and groanings. With all of that, 10 types of New Testament prayer, if we have to run our mouth, ladies or chatty men, chatty Gabby guys, uh, you might as well give yourself over to prayer some. When I complain, I complain first and foremost to God. And I'm very real with God. And I say, Lord, I need help because I want to kill somebody. Lord, I need help because I want to be angry at somebody. Lord, why are they that way? What, what am I to do, Lord? I don't go on Facebook. I don't call up a best friend. I don't even really go to my wife. I go to the Lord most of the time, nine times out of 10, I go to the Lord first and I voice my complaint to him. That's what we do with our mouth. And then I'll talk to my wife and then maybe I talk to the elders or I call up a pastor friend or I call up my pastor if I have something I've got to complain about. Uh, We have four or five lessons on prayer, so we're gonna move along for time's sake. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is technically a form of prayer, but we have singled it out because it quickly extinguishes multiple mouth sins complaining, murmuring, griping, slander, gossip. If you'll just stop and give thanks for something you would want to complain about. Oh, this car is just a, this car is a piece of junk. Well, that's murmuring and complaining. Why don't you say, Lord, this car is a piece of junk, but I'm so thankful that it's not a piece of junk bicycle. Because some of you that have piece of junk cars, you're not healthy enough to ride a bicycle but you should be. The Lord has blessed you so you could ride in a car because he knows if he didn't give you a car, you wouldn't go anywhere because you're not healthy enough or fit enough to ride a bicycle that many people have to ride every day in the world. Pastor Akwokwo, when he was a young minister, I can't remember how many years he rode a bicycle, five or six or seven years, and he would do 70 and 80 miles a day some days in the ministry on a bicycle. And then the Lord promoted him in Nigeria in the early 80s and gave him a motorcycle that he rode for 17 years, a little 50cc Chinese-made motorcycle. Some of you should be thankful for your junky car because you're not fit enough to ride a motorcycle either. Amen. So Thanksgiving 
really extinguishes a lot of mouth sins. Lord, why, why am I married to this individual? Lord, I can't stand this individual. Or, Father, they're frustrating me, but thank you that, that I found somebody that would marry me. I thank you, Lord, I found somebody that would be committed to me. Right now, they're really getting on my nerves, but Lord, I'm thankful for them because I couldn't live life without them. See, Thanksgiving does so much to extinguish so, so much mouth sin. Plus, if you're going to expend the energy anyway with your mouth and your breath and your tongues and your heart and your expressivity, you might as well do something that's going to build you up spiritually, not sin against God and give you rewards in heaven. If you have to run your mouth, you might as well use the energy to build the kingdom. So start with some thanksgiving. Thanksgiving does not have to be limited toward God only, but we can also direct thanks towards people. This is, what, of course, uh, called gratefulness. When's the last time you told somebody you were thankful? Thank you for helping with this. Thank you for helping me with that. Thank you, Pastor, for calling out my chubbiness and my overweightness and letting me realize that I need to probably get my body in shape so that I can live longer. Thank you, Father, for the police officer that pulled me over and kept me safe. Thank you, Mr. Police Officer, for doing your job. When's the last time you did get pulled over and you were thankful for getting pulled over because the cop was doing his job when perhaps we weren't? When's the last time you thanked somebody just for the littlest thing? Thanksgiving goes a long way. I find that people who are gripey and complainy, people who slander and gossip, they're not very thankful. They have this self-entitlement thing. They think everything is owed to them, which is really quite shameful. Hebrews 13, 15, by him, therefore, under God, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. What What is the sacrifice of praise? The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Notice part of the sacrifice of praise is giving thanks. That lets us know that thanks may be a very difficult thing to give from time to time. If it's called a sacrifice of praise, that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks, there's going to be times we need to give thanks when we really don't want to, like when your car is a piece of junk or when your job is really painful on you, or somebody's asking you to do something you really don't want to, but you've committed to it. This lets us know, this verse alone lets us know, thanksgiving is a form of worship, it's a form of praise, and it is going to cost us things at time. But even when you don't have money to give as praise or worship, you can always give thanks. Dr. Barclay, I want to quote one of his, Mark Barclay calls it a Barclay proverb, all the doors of life swing upon the hinges of gratitude. Think about that. All the doors of life swing upon the hinges of gratitude. If you have a boss you don't like, when's the last time you told him thank you for giving you a job? You can really earn favor from people you don't like if you just be thankful. And have you ever thought you don't like them because they don't like you and they don't like you because you're a brat? Have you ever stopped to ask why somebody doesn't like you because you, (laughs) you may be the reason they don't like you. Everybody else likes you, but maybe they don't like you because of you. Maybe you copped an attitude with them. Our job in life, without compromising the word of God, is try to win as many people as possible. In fact, Proverbs says, he that wins souls is wise. That's not just, in my opinion, my, my, my interpretation of that proverb, that's not just a soul winning verse. That's not just an evangelistic verse. What about winning somebody's soul to your favor? What about winning somebody's favor over to your life or winning, making them like you? Or, or I don't want to say make because you can't make somebody, but I, I learned in college, 
I liked, I, I was sadistic. I always took the hardest professors, the ones that everybody was afraid of, because I thought, seriously, what is there to be afraid of? And I would go in, I, there's three professors I can think of in, in specifically that I went in there and I knew they was going to be a hard class and they had a notorious reputation for being jerks to students. And I said in my heart, I'm going to win them over to me. I'm going to get them to like me. And I usually would make them laugh or find out what their sense of humor was and crack jokes with them. And I would get them to warm up to me. One of them, the most notorious, I am still friends with to this day. And I can still pull favors and still do favors for that gentleman. He would help me and I would do anything for him. Uh, And it's just because he that wins souls is wise. We're not called to make enemies. In fact, the Bible says, if you'll serve God, the Lord will help make your enemies into your friends. So we got to stop being so fight eager to fight and eager to take an attitude and just look down our noses at situations. We're called to win favor from everybody. And if we lose favor from somebody, it's going to be our fault. You need to ask yourself why you're falling out of favor. Maybe it's because you're too nosy. I don't know. Exhortation. The Greek word for exhortation, that's our next subject, is parakaleo. Now, for those of you that are Bible students, you probably are already thinking of the Greek word paraklete. Paraclete being the noun form of the, of the verb paracaleo. This word literally means to call someone to your side. So if I paracaleo, that means I'm calling. You can almost see the word call, kaleo, para alongside like a paracord, a parachute, uh, parachutes. That's a play on words, but uh, you're literally calling someone to your side. That's paracaleo. By usage, the word means to strongly encourage to urge, to comfort, to instruct. We're talking about proper biblical usages of our mouth. So when we parakaleo or we exhort with our mouth, we're strongly encouraging someone, we're urging them, we're comforting them, we're instructing them. We're calling them to our side or really calling ourselves to their side in aid, not to stab them in the back, not to shank them in the rib cage, not to choke them, but to aid them. In the Greek language, with this word parakaleo, there is a hint of warning with this word. I just throw that out there just for some good broad teaching. We sometimes think exhortation is all positive, but lots of exhortation has a hint of warning. And it's, you know, the general heart of it says something like this. Come on, folks, we need to do, to do the word or else. Or else what? Well, there's a warning there. There's this implied calamity or loss if we don't do the word. We are to use our mouths to exhort one another to do the word. There is an implied danger if we don't do the warning, if we don't do the exhortation. I need to, I want to exhort you guys tonight to do the word of God, to let, we're teaching on prayer. I want to exhort every one of us. We need to be in prayer. This is a season of prayer. Now you exhort like that and the people, you, they're going to realize, yeah, what am I going to miss out on if I don't? See, there's a warning. We don't know what would happen, but we kind of get the flavor that it won't be good. Maybe we can endure it. Maybe we can survive it. Maybe it's not as bad as the last thing we went through, but do I really want to go through something stinky? So when we exhort, it's not always all positive candy canes, unicorns, and pegasuses. Sometimes it's just, you need to get after it. Let me exhort you. Get after it in Jesus' name. I'm here to help you. Let me know what I can do for you, but you better get after it. That's exhortation. Uh, That's a common thing we're all called to do. A lot of the modern churches, they don't exhort at all. They hug. And I'm all for hugs. But even Jesus told Mary Magdalene in the garden when she wanted a hug, don't cling to me, for you need the paraclete. 
He said, I've not ascended to my father yet and to your father. When he ascended to the father, he sent back the paraclete. We're talking about parakaleo. Paraclete's the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the helper, the, the standby, the one called along together with against. That's the paraclete. The Holy Spirit is our exhorter. He's also convicting us all the time too. So Hebrews 3.13, just one verse we want to look at, but exhort one another daily. See, we're called to exhort one another every day. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So we're exhorted to exhort, and even with this exhortation to exhort, there's a warning. If we don't exhort one another, there's the opportunity and the possibility that we could be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, herein lies the catch-22 in this postmodern age where everybody's afraid of being called a cult. As a pastor, I deal with the folks, if I call and check on one person, they may think I'm trying to be controlling. So if I dial back my checkups on people, this person over here feels like they're being neglected. So now it's like the Goldilocks rule. It's too hard. It's too cold. It's too hard. It's too soft. It's just right. How do I know what just right looks like for you? I can't. So I just have to do what I feel the Lord is leading me to do. And you just have to grow up in between, like we all do. Edification. Let's move on to this next one because we got several more to cover here. Edification is something we need to be doing with our mouth. Edification is the building up of someone or something. We must use our words to build up one another instead of tearing each other down. That means we, we come alongside each, each other and we say, hey, you can do it. You can make it. I'm praying for you. Don't quit. Don't give up. And we breathe life into each other. Now, thankfully, this is only a seasonal thing. This is almost like spiritual CPR. And, you know, if you do CPR, of course, now they say you just need to do chest compressions and not the mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. But you, you can only breathe life into somebody so long and then you get exhausted yourself and you might black out. Unfortunately, in the kingdom, you have those people that are called habitual chronics or chronic problems. And even for me as a pastor, I sometimes get fatigued having to always breathe life into the same people over the same problem. I get dizzy and I want to black out. And so sometimes we have to hand chronic sheep off to other folks who can take turns giving them mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Every one of us is going to need spiritual edification, spiritual CPR from time to time. But if we don't ever revive and get our strength back again, somebody's going to give up on us. Even with first responders and paramedics, there's a point where they stop giving mouth to mouth. There's a point where they stop giving chest compressions and they call it. They look at each other and they say, call it, time of death. They check their watch and they call it a DOA, dead on arrival at the hospital. Let's make sure that We are open for edification. We're open to being built up. I've learned this now in serving God for for two decades. You can only edify those that want to be edified. Some folks don't want to get better. And when that's the case, the Bible tells us don't waste time on them. Amen. Don't waste time on them. Uh, You know, we got some first responders in our church, and I've known others. They talk about giving chest compressions, trying to save somebody's life till they break the ribs trying to keep them alive and keep that heart pumping the blood. And at some point, it's all you can do. 
May we never, may not a one of us ever be the type that we just resist edification. We resist the spiritual CPR. We resist our brother and sister in Christ or the preacher trying to build us up. Some folks are resistant to this. And how, so you said, Pastor, how do I resist it? By having excuses why you want to be broken down. We are not to have excuses for being broken down in Christ. We're to be built up. Now, there's a place to be broken before him in humility. That's not what I'm talking about. I think we understand that. I'm talking about being built up in Christ. Some Christians are chronics. They resist being built up because they are addicted to their excuses. We must use our words to build up one another instead of tearing each other down. Edification is the opposite of bite and devour as addressed in Galatians 5.15. Let's look at three verses real quick. Romans 14.19, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. We ought to look for the ability to edify or encourage one another. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearer. I, I gotta stop something. The Lord keeps nudging me here. Just because somebody's crying doesn't mean they need edification. Let me, uh, let, me, let me say that very clearly. Just because you see somebody crying doesn't mean God wants you to go edify them. In fact, nosy rosies often are always looking for some kind of emotional thing to fix, and that can be perverse at times. The Bible says Esau wept bitterly, seeking repentance, but he never found it, which means God resisted his tears, which means if you had tried to come along and encourage Esau when you saw him crying, you would have been out of the will of God. Often we get very legalistic in trying to comfort tears. Also, Samuel the prophet wept bitterly when uh, King Saul was stripped of his kingship, and the Lord rebuked Samuel for crying. And he said, what meaneth this weeping? Why are you crying for this man? Dry it up. So you would have been out of the will of God going to Samuel the prophet to encourage him. One of the things I've seen in the years of pastoring is I see somebody get rebuked in a prayer line or get, you know, they come up for a prayer and they end up getting a word of exhortation and warning and it's a hard rebuke and, and the Lord smites their heart and they go back to their seat crying And I've watched Christians come around them and hug them and say, they're there, it'll be okay. That's a lie. It's a lie to tell somebody that they just got got rebuked that it's going to be okay because it may not be okay. Oftentimes it's best, and you have to be led by God on this, when you see somebody crying, you're gonna have to be led by the Spirit of God. Sometimes they need to be left alone in their shame or in their brokenness. Because if the word of the Lord came forth and said, your heart's not right with me, says the Lord, repent or I will come against you and fight against you with the word of my lips or the sword of my mouth. And they go back to your seat and you're an American comforter and not a biblical one. And you go and hug them and say, there, there, it'll be okay. You just lied and you just undid the word of the Lord and you just maybe destroyed their life for a season. Because the Lord was dealing with them and you came along and preempted the word of the Lord. So we got to be careful that we're not just these moms looking to hug everybody because God doesn't hug everybody. Sometimes God smites people. He smites their heart. He smites their, their sin. He told Jezebel in Revelation 2, I'm going to visit your children with death. Uh, that's the case where you don't come and hug Jezebel and say, it's going to be okay. You move away from her and say, honey, you better repent. 
Amen. Let's read this verse again. Now I got that off my chest. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. What you might do in an instance where somebody gets rebuked, they go back to their seat crying, you might say, I'm going to be praying for you. I love you, and I'm going to be praying for you, and you're going to make it through this. Sometimes we don't need to hug people. We need to be very careful with hugs. Amen. All right. Hugs are offensive in some cultures, by the way. Just FYI. 1 Timothy 1.4, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. So don't worry about genealogies like the Mormons do. They just minister questions, but rather let's give heed to godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Not all edification is godly. Here, Paul very much clarifies that. Not all edification, not all building up is godly. Just like the example of the person crying because they got rebuked, you come along and edify them, that's not godly. That hugging, telling them it's going to be okay. At that point, they just got judged by God. Like Korah, you want to move away and pray for them. I'm with you. I love you. I'm not going to touch you right now uh, because God is touching you. You don't need me to touch you when the Holy Ghost is touching you. So just know that I love you. If you need something, call me. I'm praying for you. Make this right with God. We need, we're too mushy. We're too emotional and we're too much led by sight. We think that the solution to everything is a hug and an embrace. And that's just erroneous. That's like thinking the solution to Africa is another water well and shoes on feet. That's, that's in error. Nothing wrong with a hug, nothing wrong with a water well, but it's presumptive. Blessing, that's what we need to do is get on blessing with our mouth. In this context, a blessing is the opposite of a curse. A blessing is a decreed invocation of the protection and favor of God. When we bless something, we invoke God's blessing, we invoke God's favor, we invoke God's protection. We are to use our mouths to declare blessings on our lives and upon those we meet. Notice that that's one of the uses of our mouth, to declare blessings on our lives and upon those we meet. The Hebrew word blessing means to invoke God got to be careful what you invoke God on because he's not going to bless everything you ask him to. Again, the closer we know God, the more we can get him and ask him to do things, and he will. Genesis 49, 28, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is it that their father spake unto them and blessed them. Everyone according to his blessing, he blessed them. We have a whole lesson on that, but notice Joseph, excuse me, Jacob blessed Israel. Jacob and Israel, the same thing. He blessed the 12 patriarchs with the blessing the Lord told him to bless them with. Mark 10, 16, and he took the little children in his arms, he laid his hands upon them, and he blessed them. You don't always have to be led by the Spirit of God to bless something specific. You can just bless with the word of God. James 3, 10, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Notice that even in the New Testament, we have the power to provoke excuse me, to invoke the blessing of God upon things, to invoke God upon a situation. We call trips blessed. We call endeavors blessed. We call our body blessed. We call our marriage blessed. This is something we ought to be doing every day. Page 11, if you want to turn over there, look at this next one, cast out devils. Many times, casting out devils will require a vocal command from the believer. You don't always have to vocally cast out devils, but if they don't come out with a touch if they don't come out just through the laying on of hands or through the anointing in a service, you're going to have to use your words. It is possible to cast out devils. I have probably cast out more devils just through the laying on of hands than I've cast out devils with a command. 
And uh, that's just that's uh, that's a testimony of the strength of the anointing of God on us on me at the time we're on a service or on a worship service. But if the presence of God or the laying on of hands doesn't cast it out, then you're going to have to cast it out with your mouth. And there's that the time in the book of Acts where the shadow of Peter, which really was a sign of his proximity or the strength of the anointing in a proximity manner, that the shadow of Peter would come upon folks and demons would come out of them. Really the anointing that was on Peter in like a sphere is how I kind of see it. He, he, anything that walked into that sphere of the anointing was cured, made whole, set free, or cast out. He didn't have to speak anything. He just walked close enough to him, and the power of God did the rest. But there are times when you're going to have to use vocal words to command that thing to depart or come out. Jesus Christ, out devil, Jesus Christ cast out devils by commanding them to come out, and we are not better than our master. We will have to use our mouths to command them to come out. If they manifest on you, start commanding them. You don't always know if somebody has a demon, but the anointing of God tends to stir up that hornet's nest. Sometimes the anointing of God is like a baseball bat to a hornet's nest. You say, oh my, that's a demon. We got to get rid of that thing. Never be afraid. Demons will mess with you to see how much you know. When they realize you don't know anything, they'll mess with you and you'll be miserable. Mark uh, 1.27, and they were all amazed in so much that they questioned among themselves, saying, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. We have that same authority now in the New Testament as believers. Mark 16.17, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name, shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues. There's something else we can do with our mouth, speak with new tongues. I believe that's both tongues as a gift of the Spirit and a new language so that's not full of so much cursing, cussing, and slander. We ought to be able to tell you're a Christian by the way you talk on a day-to-day basis. Next point, declarations and decrees, something else positive we can do with our mouth. Authorized individuals have power to declare and decree things. Authorized. We are authorized agents of heaven representing God in the earth. A representative represents. We present something again. We should be declaring God's glory and God's will. We should be issuing heavenly decrees for the world around us. This is a bulk of what we do in prayer. We decree a thing. We declare it by faith. We pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, just like it is in heaven. Job twenty two twenty eight. one of my favorite verses. Thou shalt also decree a thing, and it shall be established unto thee, and the light shall shine upon your ways. Whether you realize it or not, we're decreeing stuff every day, and it's making our life brighter or it's making our life darker. Proverbs 8.15, by me, by wisdom that is, kings reign and princes decree justice. We're to be decreeing justice everywhere we go. That God judges things and justice and equity is accomplished. Confession or profession. This is uh, the Greek word homologio, which means to say the same thing. Homo, which means of the same kind. Logo or logio, to speak or declare. Logo means the written word. Logio means to the written thing, saying the same thing that is written. Literally to say the same thing. To gain salvation, we submit our mouths to God's mouth and we say the same thing. Romans 10, 9 and 10. We believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth. We say the same thing God was saying. To confess sin, we submit our lives to God's truth and we declare what he has already said about sin. And this is what we say, Lord, what I just did was sinful and egregious in your eyes. 
We believe the word, which is logos. We believe the word of God. Therefore, we constantly affirm, speak, and confess the same thing. That's homo. So homo logos or homo logio, to declare the same thing. How can you call yourself a Christian if you don't declare what the Bible declares? That's one of the great heresies of these last days. Folks are having the audacity to call themselves a Christian and then vocally and with their lifestyle disagree with the written word. You don't have a right to call yourself a Christian if you're not saying the same thing the Bible says. Romans 10.10, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 2 Corinthians 4.13 in the NIV, it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Notice, we also believe and therefore speak. Homo logio, confession or profession. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. We're to keep confessing the same thing, keep declaring the same thing. It doesn't matter what it looks like. We don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. We don't speak by sight, we speak by faith. That is the word for confession or profession, homologio. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, what is a sin? A sin is what God calls a sin. We don't have the authority to change God's definition of sin. If the Bible calls it sin, it's still sin. If the Bible calls it righteousness, it's still righteousness. So in order for us to confess sin, we have to study the scriptures and see what sin is. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice God can only forgive us of what we confess. That's why this great heresy of the church embracing all this new sin and saying, it's not wrong, it's not wrong. You're teaching folks to stay in their filth and to stay in unforgiveness and to stay unforgiven. What we want to do is turn on the light so bright that we can't even hardly see anything else anymore. We want God's light in our life. If you come to a church like ours, we're going to always be looking to find more light, more brightness. You guys know that I'm an avid caver, not as avid as some, but it's one of my favorite things to do as a hobby. And when technology is getting cheaper, and now when I go to the store and I'm always looking at headlights, I always see how many lumens they put out. Nowadays, if it's under 200 lumens, I don't even think about buying it because 200 lumens, though that was the brightest thing in a cave 15 years ago, 200 lumens ain't much of anything anymore. I want more light. And so now we cave with a, a light that'll put out uh, close to 1,200 lumens, which is brighter than a car headlight, and it's variable. We want as much light as possible. We don't, we don't want darkness. We're not here to dim the lights. We want to light this thing up. Our final thing, our final proper use of the mouth, according to the scriptures, is what we call fruit production. We want to make sure we're producing fruit with our mouth for Jesus. Proverbs 12, 14 says, a man shall be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth. Is your life good? Then your mouth was producing it. And the recompense of a man's hands shall be rendered unto him. Is your life miserable? Well, the Lord is recompensing to you according to what you've done with your hands. Basically, that verse says your life is your fault. Now, here in America, with all the welfare and entitlement, we don't like to admit that our life is our fault. We want to blame somebody else and get the government to pay for it. But the Bible's very clear. We must take account of our life. 
and be willing to own up to it. And as I've taught us for years now, not everything that happened to you is your fault, but what you do once it has happened to you is entirely your fault. You can't, you can't prevent every offense, every betrayal, every obscene, lewd act that maybe has been propagated against you. You can't control who your parents were or how they raised you. But now that you're here, from this day forward, you must be accountable for your life and for the changes that must take place. You cannot use your past as an excuse. You must use God Almighty as the reason to march forward. If not, your life will be the same and you'll be just as miserable five years from now as you are today. And this is not the will of our God. Proverbs 18, 20, a man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth. Notice our mouth is producing fruit. And if your life's not satisfied, it's because you got a bad fruit producer. And with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. So I want you to see the final positive, productive use of our mouth is fruit production. Herein is our Father glorified that we bear much fruit. It's evident from the Bible that our mouths till, cultivate, and harvest the gardens that are our lives. Let us take inventory of how well we are or are not eating in life. If you're not eating well, take inventory of what you're saying. And keep in mind that... Just because you sow it today doesn't mean you get to reap tomorrow. You sow today and you water today. You cultivate tomorrow. You water tomorrow. You sow and cultivate some more. And if you're mindful of this thing, your mouth can produce a constant harvest in your life of goodness, of blessing, of promotion, of favor, of faith when you go through hard times and tribulations. How do you come out of tribulations but with the fruit of your own mouth? Amen. So here we've given you plenty of positive things to be doing with your mouth. We ought to be so busy striving for the positive, God-pleasing things with our mouth that we just don't have time to be wicked with our mouth. Amen. Let me pray for us because we're out of time. Father, I thank you for this Sunday school and for this pod school. Bless all those in attendance and those listening and studying with us. May these lessons stick to their bones. May these lessons go down into their heart and affect the things you want. May this word not return unto you void, but may it produce a hundredfold return on your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.